When I was 15 years old, I sat in an English class taught by one of my most favorite teachers of all time. I still communicate with this teacher over Facebook. But she said something in that class that rocked my world, and this is what she said. She said, all of you in this room believe in God, and you believe your family's traditions, but you know what, you really don't know if it's true. You've kind of been brainwashed by your family. So, with that, she rocked my world because she actually got under my skin with that. And I began to ask myself, like, I love my family, right? I love our family traditions, I love Christmas, I love everything that we do, it's just so awesome, and, but what if she's right? What if all this stuff that we believe and practice is not really true? I gotta know. It was a tough time for me. I didn't feel like I could tell anybody about it. I didn't wanna tell my dad. I didn't want him to think that I was pushing him aside. No, I loved him. And then I picked up a book that changed my life. It was a book that took apart all of the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. And as I read those prophecies, I went back to the Christmas story. So many of them are about the Christmas story. Hundreds and hundreds of years before it happened, this promised Messiah who would be born of a virgin, born in the city of David, which is Bethlehem, I mean, this is the Christmas story. He would be from the lineage of King David. And, and, and as I began to read these prophecies, all of a sudden, the Christmas story came alive in a way like it never had before. Like all of a sudden, rather than just believing the tradition of my family, I, I had handles of faith to hold on to. Like at that point, after I read all of those prophecies, I thought, it's harder for me to throw this all away than it is to keep it. I mean, it's true. And I wanna just talk to you tonight about one of the most fascinating parts of the Christmas story, and that's the coming of the wise men or the magi from the east. Okay, did you know that the star they followed was prophesied in numbers, did you know that? That the accompanying star would be a part of the story. These men came from the east. Now why in, this was before satellite communication. It was before Twitter or now X. It was before Facebook, social media, email. I mean, the world was far apart and not connected in any way, shape, or form. So how in the world did this whole thing come to pass that some wise men who lived in the east actually decided to come and find the babe in Bethlehem who was now a young child. Where did that all come from? And, and if you go back to the book of Daniel, you, you begin to realize what exactly was going on. These men were the wise men. They were part of the group that Daniel was a part of. Daniel wrote some of the most amazing prophecies. 
Daniel was one of the most respected wise men of all of Babylon and then all of the Medes and the Persians. Why? Because if there was a dream the king couldn't understand, no one could explain it, Daniel could. One time, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream and he he needed an explanation for the dream. So he looked and looked. Finally, someone reminded him that Daniel was there. Daniel came in and he says, King, I only wish this dream was not about you, but here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna go crazy crazy for seven years. You're going to walk around like an animal. Your nails are going to grow long. Your hair is going to be matted. And then after seven years, your mind will come back to you and you will be restored to your kingdom. Now that is an amazing prophecy. That's pretty edgy for a prophet to say to the, to the king. And then that happened, Nebuchadnezzar, walking about his kingdom one day, praising himself for all that he had done, goes, goes crazy. And for seven years, the, the king is going around like an animal. And then what is amazing is that somehow the kingdom stayed intact to the point that when he recovered his mind, he returned to the throne. And as he returned to the throne, he makes a proclamation and he says, in this pagan culture, I wanna proclaim now that we will honor and worship the God of Daniel, the God of heaven. He is the God who is the king of kings. He is an eternal God. So, Because we're not talking the king got a cold and everybody, you know, wrote it down. No, 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 no. He was crazy for seven years. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, this thing's going to get the attention of the historians, and it did. And so, in, in, the, in the, these, these magi had clues that God was up to something. In Daniel chapter 9, actually, Daniel predicts precisely when the Son of God would come. It's the weeks in Daniel. Google it. You can find out about it. I don't have time to unpack that. It's too complicated. These guys all the way in the east see a star. It gets their attention. They go to research. They count the weeks. And they say, I think this is happening now. We're the Magi the astronomers, the historians, the advisors to the kings and the emperors. If the king of the universe is about to be born, we need to get in on the action. And you know what? These men did. And it cost them dearly because it it was an 800-mile trip. And these guys were not driving F-150s or Teslas. They were on camels. They didn't go 70 miles an hour. They went 20 miles a day. It took them, you know, about, what, 60 days to get there? Do you know how much it costs to keep a caravan of royal advisors going for 60 days on the road? Have you ever taken a family vacation? Furthermore, they had to spend their political capital Where where are you going? Why are you going? Well, we think the king of the universe has been born. We've been studying the prophecies of Daniel of old, and we think the time is now. We've counted the weeks, and the star has appeared. We're going. And every royal family in the whole region started feeling a little bit unsettled. Now, wait a minute, guys. You're supposed to help maintain the status quo. You're sure shaking it up for us. But they went. They made the difficult journey. They traveled for 40 to 60 days. These influencers of their day, they were walking around saying, we think the king of the universe, 
the divine king of the Jews has been born. This is heaven come to earth. This is gonna change absolutely anything. And where do they go? They, of course, first go to the capital, Jerusalem. And when they get to Jerusalem, they say to Herod, hey, we've come here to find the king of the Jews. And Herod is sitting there thinking, now wait a second, guys, I'm the king of the Jews. If the baby was born, I should have known about this. Can you imagine the flaming looks he gave his advisors as he looked at them and said, what in the world are they talking about, guys, and why don't I know anything about this? Oh, well, um, actually, uh, Herod, there is a prophecy that says when the, when the, when the Messiah comes, He'll be born somewhere. He'll be born in Bethlehem. Oh, really? Bethlehem, very good. All right, listen, guys, do me a favor. You guys go over there, find that king, and when you find that king, come back and tell me because I want to come worship him too. Like, did anybody in Jerusalem believe that for a minute? Herod would kill his own children, his own wives, if he thought they were a threat to the throne. These men were so convinced by the writings of Daniel that were hundreds of years old that they made this trip. You know, people ask me this question all the time, so you ready for Christmas? And you know, honestly, I'm not the one to ask. I don't manage Christmas in my house, do you know that? I don't manage the menu, I'm not cooking anything. I may do some dishes, but that's after the fact. You know what I mean? You know who really manages Christmas in my house? It's my wife. She buys all the presents. I have one present to buy, and it's for her. And, and we decided to buy something very unusual. I bought her, she and I bought together for our mutual gift, this fancy, expensive vacuum cleaner. My new son-in-law, Kevin, says to me, so I want to just ask you, how many years do you have to be married before you can buy practical gifts like that for your wife? I said, well, you know, close to 40. I think some lady wrote this. What would have happened if it had been three wise women? Well, if it had been three wise women instead of three wise men, they would have asked for directions and arrived on time. Help deliver the baby, clean the stable, make a casserole, and brought practical gifts, and there would have been peace on earth. That's why I think a woman wrote that. These men came, and they had great faith because they left the capital, and they traveled the 25 miles to Bethlehem. And they found this little hubble of a residence and, because that's where the star led them. And then they found Mary and Joseph and the child. They brought gifts. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Each one of them symbolizes something different. We don't have time for all of that. You can Google it. Um, they were so convinced that this child was the king of kings. That these men in their gorgeous get-ups, get you know what I'm saying? They offer the gifts and then they bow before the king who was a child. And they worshiped him. And 
And then the war broke out in the heavens, and they were told by an angel, don't go back to Herod. And then the angel told Joseph, get out of town. Herod's about to kill every baby in this town. And the weeping and lament of Bethlehem at that time was so, so much that it was, they, were, they could not be consoled. I don't know about you, but to me that story makes me think about whether or not this has got to be true, and I think it is. I think God came to earth, and his name was Jesus. And you might be sitting here today thinking, I don't know what God thinks about me. You think God's mad at you? I've thought God was mad at me before. Have you? You think maybe God's just like tired of me, disgusted with me, done with me. And then Jesus says in John 3, let me tell you what God is thinking. God so loved the world. He loves you. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. I don't want to be condemned. I'm scared of being condemned. He didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, might be saved. And that's the story of Christmas. And some people hear the story and they decide to get out of their own way and believe what just seems unbelievable. Do you think that the coming of God to earth to save mankind would be a believable, easy to understand story? Of course not. And if we could be like wise men and bow before the king and say to him, I need you. I need to be forgiven. I need you in my life. When my kids were growing up, they loved to watch a particular show called I think it's called Growing Pains. And the star was Kirk Cameron. Do you, do anybody, rem, anybody here remember that? You know I, know, I know if you're like 10, you probably don't remember it because it's been off for a while, but if you're you know, 30, 40, 50, you, you probably do remember it. Kirk Cameron, he, um, Kirk Cameron was 14 years old when he got that part, and he said, within a few years, the show became a hit, and he said, I became famous. I, I, I had all the money I needed, all the money I wanted. I was traveling the world meeting famous people. And people. In fact, I was a famous person. It was amazing. But then I met a man who, who was the father of this girl that I liked, and I got to talking to this man, and he said this, there's still something you don't have, though, Kirk. You have a lot, but you don't have the Lord. I'm thinking to myself, okay, what's your point? I don't believe in God, and that's really not something I'm interested in. But I thought, well, I better not turn his, down his invitation to go to church. After all, I like his daughter. So I went to church with him, and I heard the gospel for the very first time, and I listened because it wasn't what I thought it was. This man stood up in front and opened up a Bible, which I thought was just this big, thick, dusty book full of rules designed to suck the life out of, the fun out of life. The man at the front said uh, that this, the, of, about the word of God, he explained that there is a God who made you and me. Uh, 
He made everything on this planet. He made everything in the universe. He sustains our life moment by moment. He is a holy God. He's a pure God. He's a good, amazing, and wonderful God. He went on to explain that we were designed by God to know him and to love him, to obey him with all of our heart, to be in a right relationship with him. But that kind of relationship does not naturally exist between us and God because of something that separates us from God, and that something is called sin. And I didn't understand what sin was, and he explained it to me simply. He said, sin is the stuff stubborn, selfish streak that runs deep to the heart of every person. It shows up in many different kinds of ways in your life. It shows up when you lie. It shows up when you steal. It shows up when you dishonor your mother and your father. It shows up when you think you're better than other people. And one of the clearest ways it shows up is when you put other things in your life in a more important position than God who gave you those things. And listening to him, I was feeling really guilty because if if it was true, I was in big trouble. I was guilty of all those things. My dirty socks were more important to me than God because in my mind, God didn't even exist. He said that that God hates sin. He's pure and holy. He hates sin, but but he had come to save. And Kirk Cameron, after sitting through that service, was dealing with something that he had never had to deal with before. He learned that God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to pay for the sins so that he could forgive us freely. And if we would just humble ourselves before God and repent of our sin, trust in Jesus that he died to pay the price of our sin and ask for forgiveness, he would forgive us and give us everlasting life. And and, and he goes on to say that um, this father said to him, well, you're gonna have to just decide, why don't you ask God to, 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 to tell you, to show you if he is really real? He says, I was in my car, and a thought came to me, Kirk, if you get into an accident and die today, will you be, will you be going to heaven? And the answer was no. I knew that I had ignored God my whole life, but everything in, it was more important position than him, he was, and I had sinned against him. And then Kirk Cameron goes on to say that he reaches out to God with this prayer, God, if you're there. He says, I had never prayed before. If you're, if you're there, I need to know, God, if you're real, would you please show me? Would you please forgive me? Would you please change me into the person you want me to be? He said, I opened my eyes. And it wasn't like a gust of wind blew through the window or I saw a vision of Jesus on my windshield, but I had a real sense that God heard me. I felt he was listening to me, that he was real, and it felt so good. I'm just here to say that when you assemble your manger scene and you put the wise men there, understand they represent hundreds of years of fulfilled prophecy. These were real men, wealthy, influential men who were so convinced that this babe born in Bethlehem was God in flesh that they spent it all and they bowed before him and they made Jesus their king. That's the invitation of Christmas. I want to ask you if you'd bow your heads, please.